All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 23 as we continue our Summer in the Psalms series. And let's read Psalm 23 and then pray for God's blessing upon this time in His Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Sure, the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, as we come to this beloved psalm this morning, we ask for you to guide us through it, Lord. Lead us through it. Speak, we pray, to our hearts. Lord, your word speaks to us. But you also have a way through your Holy Spirit of taking your word and the truth of your word and then bringing it right home to our hearts right where we are at. And we ask for that this morning, that you administer all that we have need of this morning. And above all, that our hearts will be rejoicing in and anchored in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Shepherd. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, you are probably familiar with Psalm 23. It's one of the most familiar psalms in, of all psalms, one of the most beloved psalms as well. And we all know there are books written about the insights that we can derive from knowing about the habits of sheep and shepherds and then applying that to our lives. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I actually sh uh, shared a message on the Good Shepherd some time ago, not that long ago, and we talked a little bit about sheep and, and all their characteristics. But I'm not going to do that this morning because... I also believe that this psalm, one of the reasons it connects so deeply with us is because it connects with us on a deeply human level. This is a psalm that ministers to our hearts. It brings comfort. It brings strength. It brings hope. It brings courage. It brings peace to our souls. David wrote Psalm 23 shortly after he became king of Israel. But no doubt his mind was going back to the days when he was a young man tending his father's sheep. And as he sat there watching over them, long days, quiet nights, providing for them, protecting them, guiding them, leading them, David began to see a connection between his watchful care over these sheep and God's watchful care over our lives. Psalm 23 ministers to us at every stage of life. It, it describes this journey that we call life. Begins when we're born, the dash in between, 
and ends on this earth when we die. Psalm 23 tracks that whole journey. In six short verses, it summarizes that journey in a wonderful way. And it reassures us that we don't make this journey alone. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is with me. When our kids were young, Janice and I encouraged them to memorize Psalm 23 and recite it to their souls whenever they struggled with fear. I have personally read and watched Psalm 23 comfort those who are in the final moments of their life. There's something about this psalm that transcends any particular demographic or age range. It is such a beautiful psalm. And it speaks so deeply to us. And I think one of the, one of the reasons it connects with us so deeply is because it's such a personal psalm. David doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. And then he goes on to speak in personal terms. I, me, mine. Jesus reinforces this personal nature of the shepherd when he, in John chapter 10, when he says that he is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd David is writing about in Psalm 23. But Jesus reinforces the personal nature of that when he says, I know my sheep and I call them by name. Jesus knows your name. He calls you by name. And there is something wonderful about that. You know, there is such a blessing in knowing that together we are God's people. We, uh, in a message from 2 Corinthians just a couple weeks ago, we looked at the blessedness. And I said, this is not a message for you. This is not a message for me. This is a message for us. This is a message for us together. And I love the fact that God's word speaks to us as his people, as his family, as his flock. Psalm 95. But this psalm, this psalm speaks to you personally. It speaks to me personally. And there is, as much as we also want to be a part of a tribe and a people and a, and a blessing that is, we also long to be known individually. We long to know that God knows us by name. That he doesn't deal with us just as a group, but he knows us individually. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your gifts. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. So Psalm 23 is a very personal psalm, and it gives us promises. And it has four sections, each one containing a precious promise to God from us as we journey through this this thing we call life. And the first promise is this, the Lord restores our soul. Let's read the first three verses again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So I thought about naming that this point, this promise that the Lord provides for us, because that's certainly in there. We could say, you know, the Lord provides for us what we need. He leads us to green pastures. He, 
He leads us beside still waters. So it's very true. The Lord provides for us. But I think there's something bigger in this than simply providing for our needs. He does that. But I think the bigger picture is the Lord restores our souls. We need something more than just having food and shelter and clothing. And the Lord brings something bigger than that. He restores our souls. I've noticed, uh, I've noticed, maybe you're like me when this, when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'm typically right there like, I'm doing well, doing great. How are you doing? And that's just the answer I give. Now, I'm not being dishonest. I'm not lying. If, if we're friends and I'm not doing well, I'll probably tell you, I've had better weeks. But I often do feel like I'm doing well. And so it just kind of comes out. But when I say I'm doing good, something inside of me realizes that that's true on some levels, but I'm probably not looking very deeply. I'm not a, a really deep person, so I'm kind of looking superficially, and I'm doing good. So here's what happens in life. Life gets busy, right? It gets busy. We've got things going on. We've got demands pulling on us. We've got challenges, we've got pleasures, we do things, it's, uh, we work, we chill out, we take maybe a vacation. Janice and I just got back from Maine, so I've got vacation on my mind. And we had a wonderful time, thank you. We take care of our families, hopefully we connect with friends. And then we rinse and repeat. And we do it over and over again. Get up, go to work, or do whatever we're doing, and connect take care, chill, go to bed, do it again. So when we say that we're doing well, often we're, we're, we're focused on, we're thinking about how am I doing it juggling my responsibilities? How am I doing it juggling all the plates in the air? Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Juggling the plates pretty good. Or we look at our emotional state. Yeah, I feel pretty good. It's a nice day. I feel good. Nothing terrible is going on. I feel good. But the Lord cares about us on a deeper level than just how are we handling our responsibilities and how are we feeling emotionally on any given day. The Lord cares about how you are doing. How is your soul doing? Your soul is the deepest level of you. Now, it's not disconnected from, like, we're not sliced up in, into different things, but our soul is us on the deepest level. And all that we are emanates from our soul. So the Lord cares about our soul. How is your soul doing? So life can be going great, and our souls can be doing horribly. And life can be going really rough, and our souls can be doing really well. Think of the song, It Is Well, With My Soul. You know when the writer Spafford wrote that song, he was traveling over the place where he lost his daughters in a, in a boating accident. 
Traveling over that, the captain said, this is where the ship went down. You lost your daughters. That is not a good place. That is not a joyful place. I can't imagine a darker valley than that. But that is where Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes. He restores my soul. And our souls need to be restored because our souls get depleted. Life wears away at our souls. Just as our bodies get run down, our souls get run down. They get weary. They get worn out. And they need to be depleted. Life with its demands and its craziness and its ups and its downs and its failures and its successes and all that mountaintops, valleys, Sometimes our soul just gets depleted and needs to be restored. And as we follow Jesus, our shepherd, he makes us, he makes us lie down in green pastures. And he leads us beside still waters. This is such a picture of our, our souls being restored in peace and in quiet. It's turning down the noise, shutting out the distractions, coming into the quiet to be restored. Jesus leads us to make soul care a priority in our lives. Now, green pastures and still waters, I think, can look different at different times depending on what our souls need to be restored. And it's very practical. It's very practical. For someone being restored, our soul being restored, it might mean we need to build some downtime into our schedule. We need to take some time to get alone and get away from the crowds. Jesus did that, you know? Jesus did that. He constantly got away from the crowds and got alone with the Father to build that relationship and restore his soul for the demands of the day. If Jesus needed to do that, we need to do that too. Sometimes restoring our soul, sometimes green pastures and still waters can be a vacation, just time away. Sometimes the opposite of that is true. And we need time with brothers and sisters in Christ. I've had times when my soul has been exhausted. It's been weary. And being alone has just run me around the same drain, circling the same thoughts, spiraling down. And I get together with God's people and we talk about the Lord. We worship. We, we just connect. And all of a sudden, whoa, my soul is restored. It can look different in different times. Ironically, for the person who struggles with laziness, which is just another sin in our lives, for the person who struggles with laziness, the Lord may lead them into green pastures and still waters. That actually requires more work because they're resting too much. There is a kind of rest that depletes the soul. There's few things as tiresome as laziness. We feel exhausted 
We've all experienced this. Have you ever experienced where you've sat and binge-watched something, and by the time you get off that couch, you're exhausted? Come on. We've all, ex- we've all experienced that. Well, that in a lifestyle, that begins to deplete the soul. And so the Lord may say, hey, I want you to restore your soul by, by pressing forward and being productive. Being productive will restore your soul. But with all those things, one thing green pastures and still waters always, always, always looks like is this. Getting alone with God and in his word. Always, always looks like that. Our souls waste away when we're not in the word of God. Our souls get thin, weary, dry when we're not in the word of God. The flock is fed by the word of God. Spending time in the Bible every day helps to nourish our thinking, fill our emotional banks, and most importantly, restore our souls. I know everybody's thinking, is that my car? (laughs) Honey, is that our car by any chance? (laughs) The Lord restores our soul. Now, I want to continue on this thought for one moment longer because verse 3, he then goes on to say, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And, And I don't think this is a new thought. I think this continues the thought of the Lord restoring our soul because sin might bring pleasure to Boy, we're losing everybody. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. What's that? Okay. All right. Ah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sin brings pleasure to the flesh. It does. But it does not bring restoration to the soul. It wears away. It eats away at the soul the path of unrighteousness leads us to the emptiness of soul and so the lord leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake god gets glory by leading us in paths of righteousness leading us in the right paths of life but what does paths of righteousness mean what does it mean i I believe it means two things in our lives not two separate things but two intertwined interconnected things for the christian the first thing is this the lord leads us in paths of righteousness by being our righteousness when we believe in jesus christ god gives us the righteousness of jesus christ as if it were our righteousness on the cross jesus took our sin as if our sin was his And then he gives us, as we trust in Christ, his righteousness as if Jesus' perfect, infinite righteousness was our righteousness. Let's call this the righteousness of believing. We don't do anything to receive this righteousness. We simply believe in Jesus. This is the righteousness of believing. But Jesus also leads us in the path of doing right. Let's call this the righteousness of becoming, becoming more like Jesus Christ. 
And this is really practical. This is the Holy Spirit empowering us to do right, to do good, to live out our faith, to love people. And as we follow Jesus Christ, we are becoming more like him. Both of these paths of righteousness come from Jesus Christ, and both are vital to following Jesus. If we focus only on becoming righteous, doing good, we become legalistic. We begin to think that I'm doing good, I'm doing righteousness, and therefore I am righteous in God's eyes. We become legalistic. No, 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 no. We need to believe in Christ for that perfect righteousness, that perfect righteousness that justifies us in the sight of God. So if we focus on doing and action and right paths and doing good, we become legalistic. But if we just focus on believing, in other words, I'm just believing God for righteousness, I'm believing in Christ for righteousness, and then I'm going out and doing sin, I'm just living like the devil, I'm just doing whatever, what happens is our lives contradict our faith. People look at our lives and say, you're a Christian, but you're doing all this evil. Yeah, but I'm believing Jesus for righteousness, and our lives contradict our faith. The Bible says he leads us in paths of righteousness, and that is the path of believing. I believe Christ. I receive his righteousness, and it is the path of becoming. I am walking with Jesus, and I am becoming a better person by the grace of God. Amen. Believing and becoming, both of them come from Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory. And as we receive, believe, and walk in this righteousness, he restores our soul. Promise number two, the Lord protects us as we walk through dark valleys. The Lord protects us as we walk through dark valleys. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 1 through 3, David is talking about following his shepherd. The shepherd is leading him. In verse 4, that doesn't stop. The shepherd is leading David at times into dark, shadowy, valleys sometimes the lord does not lead us around valleys sometimes the lord leads us through valleys promising us that he will be with us as we walk through those valleys Valleys have a way of revealing where our faith is. They have a way of revealing what we believe in. If we walk through a valley and all we see is the valley, the problem isn't with God. The problem is with our faith, with our sight. And I don't say that harshly. I don't say that judgmentally. I know what it's like to walk through a valley where all I see is the valley and I'm having a hard time seeing God. I know what that's like. But the problem isn't with God. 
The problem is with our faith. And so our wise and our loving shepherd will sometimes lead us into a valley, a dark, shadowy valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, to help us learn we don't need to be afraid in the valley, to help us learn that he is with us in the valley. I will fear no evil, for he, for you, are with me. Even when we can't see, and maybe you're in a valley now, and maybe when we can't see, even when we can't see what the purpose in the valley is, how to get out of the valley, we can know that the Lord is with us. And knowing the Lord is with us, we can fear no evil. I want you to notice with me that Paul, that David rather, intensifies the personal direction of this conversation at this point. Up until now, he's been talking about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He. But now as he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he makes it personally, begins to talk to the Lord first person. You are with me. Valleys can press us into a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just a deeper knowledge about Jesus, but a deeper knowledge of him as our shepherd. And the more we know him, the more our confidence in him grows until we can truly say, I would rather be in the deepest, darkest valley with Jesus than on the sunniest of plains with, without Jesus. I will fear no evil, Jesus, for you are with me. If you're in a valley now, I want to encourage you. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, he is with you in that. His rod and his staff, they can comfort you. The shepherd uses a rod to guide the sheep. He uses a staff to protect the sheep. The Lord will guide you. The Lord will protect you in that valley and one day unless jesus returns first we will all enter the valley of the shadow of death where the shadow does not just loom over us it covers us we don't come out of that valley the death covers us one last time and in that moment brothers and sisters we will discover that the shadow of death is just that it's just a shadow it's actually not a reality as we find that there is no final substance to it as we walk through that valley find Jesus walking with us into eternal life and into his eternal kingdom and there's no separation our last breath on this earth will be our first breath in heaven and we will find that he safely gets us through even the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's swallowed up in victory through Jesus Christ. Promise number three. The Lord invites us to a rich banquet in the presence of our enemies. And time doesn't allow for much to be said about this, except it's uh, in this picture, David actually changes from 
the imagery from the Lord as shepherd to the Lord as a banquet host. And he sets a rich and bountiful feast before us in front of our enemies. <clears throat> so this is not primarily a feast of food. This is the feast of a rich life. This is the feast of an overflowing cup, of an of a overflowing abundant life that's rich with the generosity of God. But here's the question. I just want to dwell on this for a moment. Why does the Lord set this banquet table and this feast in before us and overflow our cup in the presence of our enemies? Like that's the last people I want around when I'm eating. Why does he set this banquet up in the presence of our enemies? As we go through life, there are going to be people who will, to one degree or another, oppose us and maybe mistreat us and misrepresent us, maybe slander against us, maybe try to do harm, and it will be because of our faith in Jesus Christ. They may ridicule, they may laugh, they may mock, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. They will misunderstand us, misrepresent us, and we will burn with a desire to see that set right. We will burn with a desire for that to be vindicated. And I think one day, the Bible says it will be. In the end, those who trust God enjoy the vindication of a rich life, an overflowing cup. No one who trusts in Christ comes in their life and says, I wish I'd been an atheist all my life. I wish that I had just lived my life for things and pleasures. No one, no one does that. But many who give their life to things and pleasures will wish they had lived for something bigger, for Christ. And vindication... But the Bible tells us clearly, we're not to ask for vengeance, we're not to take vengeance, we're not to look for vindication. We are to pray. If someone in your life is giving you a hard time, particularly if it's over your faith, pray for them. Pray for their soul. Pray for our enemies. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know what the best vengeance of all is? You know what the best vengeance of all is? It's seeing your enemy become your friend because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the best vengeance of all, to spend eternity with them laughing and enjoying loving fellowship because they trusted in Christ. So we are to pray for our enemies, but the reality is that one day, those who trust in Christ, their lives will be vindicated and will enjoy the fullness of God's generosity. Promise number four, the Lord pursues us with goodness and mercy right into his household forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word translated follow doesn't 
completely reflect the meaning of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for follow that we have translated follow actually means to pursue. So it's not just kind of lagging behind following. It's after you. Surely goodness and mercy shall be in hot pursuit of my life. Coming after me. Following hard after me. It reminds me of Jesus' instruction to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, the other things we want, will be added to our lives. If we follow after those other things, we come up empty. But if we follow after God and make him first, then all those other things are added to our lives. They pursue us instead of us pursuing them. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But I think there's also another meaning that is in this as well. That as we follow our shepherd, not only are we personally blessed with goodness and mercy following hard after us, but we also leave a trail of goodness and mercy behind us. We leave the fruit of goodness and mercy behind us. It's pursuing behind us and it's affecting those who are in its wake. I believe the richest life is one that leaves a wake of blessing behind it. Riches aren't really riches until we share them with others. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If Jesus is your Savior, I pray that those words will, will bring deep comfort and strength, courage and peace to your soul. As you follow him, he's watching over you day and night. He's caring for your soul. He brings restoration to your soul. He provides for you. He protects you. He's generous to you. Goodness and mercy are going to follow hard after you. And you will spend eternity in his house. That's the promises of Psalm 23. If someone can't say that, if they say, Jesus isn't my Savior, He's not my shepherd, then I want to encourage you to know, I want you to know that He is inviting you into a personal relationship with Him today. A personal relationship with Him today. Will you turn away from trying to get your life from the world? Trying to get your life from sin. Trying to fill your soul with pleasure. And you wonder why you're coming up empty. And you're wondering why you're dry and weary. And the more you get of what you want, the more you want and the less you have. I want to encourage you. Do a 180. Turn away from that as your source of life and turn towards Jesus Christ. Ask Him to come into your life as your Savior and as your shepherd. Say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow after you. Two words Jesus used to call His disciples. It was this, follow me. Follow me. Will you say that to him? Yes, I will follow you. I will follow you, Jesus. I'm tired of the life I've been living. I'm tired of going to the broken wells of this world 
and my desires and coming up thirsty and my soul is thirsty, I will follow you, Jesus. Will you say that this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice here in the room or watching online who's never, never made that beautiful decision to follow Jesus Christ, never has given their heart to Jesus, never trusted in Christ. Lord, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit will be working in their heart to help them to see the beauty of Jesus, the glory, the power, and the love of Jesus. And I pray that you put a hunger in their hearts to say, I'm done with all this other stuff. I want Jesus. I'm, I'm, I want Jesus. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my life and change me. Give me that righteousness that comes from you alone. Restore my relationship with God the Father. Save me, Lord. And dear Lord, Shepherd, I pray that all of us will find encouragement and strength from this beautiful psalm. Restoration for our soul. And encouragement to follow you all the more closely. Because we never regret when we do. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And we thank you that you loved us first. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Follow Jesus.